my scripture reading today is all of Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the field of Moab that the Lord has visited his people and given, given them food. So she set out from the place where she was when with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the death and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet? sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I, ha- I hope, have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you... Therefore, wait till they were grown... What would you therefore refrain from marriage? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. 
return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so, so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said, to them, do do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt it very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite. Her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. So good morning, church. Uh, for those who do not know me, I'm George. And I'm usually the behind-the-scenes guy, loving to serve the body where I can. But an opportunity arose for a... Uh, me to preach and get out of my comfort zone a little bit, but uh, God's just going to use his word and does what he, do what he do, does. He'll do what he does uh, and uh, for his glory, for the good of his people. And so uh, as we get started, we're going to go through the book of Ruth, primarily chapter one, just like Bria read. Um, but we'll also go in the, ch- the following chapters just to see how God and his grace and his mercy will bring about our kinsman redeemer uh, in Ruth, but also uh, we'll see the lineage of Jesus, his uh, you know, his lineage came back for the Messiah's lineage. We'll see David's uh, grandfather, Obed, be born to Ruth. And so before we start, if you guys join me in prayer. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, Lord. I say you would use me, Father, to speak your truth. I say, Father, you would change the hearts and minds, Lord, of those, Father, who you have called. Please, Father, bring them to life. Bring us to life, Father, that we'd be born again that we'd glorify you, Lord, that we would worship you for your glory. In Jesus' name, Father. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so we got... <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Not normally a talker, so uh, first service will me out. <laughs> mm. Okay. And so... <clears throat> Uh, kids, if you have not done so, uh, there are coloring sheets in the back to take notes on. Colored pencils, got it, check. Mom and dad, if you want to use them, by all means, go ahead and jump in as well. But <clears throat> those are in the back. And so for, uh, we're going to go kind of with an introduction, a little icebreaker, just so you get to know me, because this guy, I've never seen him before. He's probably it's just some weird guy. But anyway, icebreaker. Uh, introduction. So uh, Eric and I, she's my wife. And so with as we're looking at Ruth, we're going to look at 
Boaz sweeping in to sweep her off her feet. And so my little icebreaker here is uh, I met Erica as an E4, and so I try to, to swoop her off her feet. And so our first date, here's a little photo of us. As my uh, kids like to point out, Dad, you had hair. And yes, I did. Um, but with responsibility, it goes away, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so here we are, right? I'm trying to, to woo Erica, sweep her off her feet. And so our first date is ice skating rink. Do we have any ice skaters in the house? We have one, two, and another one. Okay. And so we're lacing up our skates. We're about to go to the rink. So Mr. George, and so something happens. Anybody want to guess? Oh, close. So, and so I grab onto the rail, because I'm about to fall. Uh, and so Erica, though, I look up. Erica just takes off, skates backwards, my pride behind her. And so uh, that was our first experience, right? Me trying to woo her and God in his grace saying, hey, uh, you're not your gift to her. It's my gift to her. I am her gift and you're stuck to her. And so the worst part of this all was here, our second date. And so we go golfing. And does anybody want to guess what happened after that? <laughs> so... She does her thing, right? She has a scholarship to Auburn. She neglected to disclose on me. And so she just, <laughs> she goes. And so in my pride, again, I swallow it. And she, uh, yeah, she's like, hey, you need to ask some questions. And so, but God. Um, <laughs> and so this next photo is going to be after our, our day. It's me, my pride showing. Um, and yeah, God just using that. God and his sovereignty, his providence, even though this is a lighthearted moment. God used it to humi uh, humble me, humiliate me, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, just to show that he is good, it's not about me, right? It's about him, it's about his plan, and he's, he weaves the intricacies of our life together for his glory, and in this point is uh, to remind me that it's not about me pursuing her, it's about him and his righteousness and uh, us following him together. And so that's just a little icebreaker to get us started. So as we jump into the text of Ruth... <clears throat> It's not just a love story. I kind of mentioned earlier uh, me trying to pursue Erica and we see Ruth being kind of pursued in a sense, redeemed by Boaz. But it's about a beautiful picture of God's grace redeeming those he loves, right? And by faith, we see that Ruth came about um, being grafted into the, uh, in God's family. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, um, as we introduce, introduce the uh, story again, and so... 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we uh, have this treasure in jars of clay, and little ones, by all means, our kids, uh, feel free to recite it with me. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this passing power belongs to God and not to us. And so I can relate with this so much, right? not being a speaker per se, but allowing God, just his word to flow through me and change the lives of people and for his glory. And so as we look at that, we're going to see our big idea here shortly. And a lot of times we don't get this, you know, we don't, we don't see we're not God, so we don't get to see the big picture. We don't get to see God's plan and his providence kind of shaping and unfolding in our stories. But our big idea is going to be uh, God is sovereign even when our circumstances seem otherwise. And so we'll see here in a bit as we jump into the text with Ruth, with Naomi, with and Boaz, as he comes into the picture, and also with Elimelech, right? Things probably did not go the way he wanted them to go. 
Uh, and so we'll go that. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> when it comes to God's sovereignty and his, his grace in our lives, and as pain is introduced, as he uses that to mold and shape us uh, for his glory. There's a, a neat quote from C.S. Lewis that kind of touches on this side of it. And so this side of glory uh, will be molded and shaped, right? It won't always be pleasant. Uh, but we can trust in God, and he's good, and he's faithful. And so the quote from C.S. Lewis is, We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. And so as we ponder on God's providence and his sovereignty in the text, I ask you to relate with me in a story that I'm going to share now, not quite as jovial as the last one but more of a, a painful one. And so a newly regenerated heart teen, um, I, I guess, had the opportunity um, to walk through life with one of my aunts. And so to contrast to the you know, young lady in her 30s, jovial, having fun, if you will, um, with her family, joking around. And just, she's always a jokester, but... Um, one day we got some bad news, and so she was diagnosed with cancer of the stomach. But I remember asking myself why, as just day by day, month by month, she started to weird, just kind of wither away. And so I just can't help to ask why, even now looking back, I can't help to ask, well, Lord, I don't understand, but I do know that you are good. And in your providence, you use things for your glory, for the good of your people. And even though I don't understand it, and even though maybe we not under, may not understand the things that go on in life, um, he is good. And perhaps in glory, uh, he will reveal that to us. But even if he doesn't, he's still good. And so that's a bit of a story as we get to relate with some of our characters in the text. And so to kind of put a finer point on God's, God's sovereignty, just so that we're not uh, maybe perhaps turned off by the word and perhaps feel like God is a distant God and not a loving Heavenly Father. Let's try to put more of a definition with it. And so God is indeed uh, sovereign with our circumstances, regardless of what they are. <clears throat> but the next little slide here we'll look at is from the Heidelberg Catechism, question 27. And so, what do you understand by the providence of God? The almighty, everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And so let's camp out on the last bit of that, right? But by his fatherly hand. At times I know it's my heart will kind of want to harden itself towards God, and I don't understand why, why things are going on. Why did you use this? But reminded by his truth, by his, by his word, that he is indeed good. And even though I don't understand, uh, it is his fatherly hand that is walking with us in the hard times. And so... <clears throat> As we go into Ruth now, all right, and so it'll open up, uh, just like Bria read in the text earlier, 
and the days when the judges ruled. And so the judges were those who ruled over Israel before King Saul was put into power by God. But during the time when the judges ruled, there were violent invasions, worship of false gods, lawlessness, and tribal civil war. In other words, people were killing each other, doing whatever they wanted, and they were worshiping gods of their own choosing, but not the one true God. And so we'll have the slide here. We'll look at just about Ruth and maybe the book and what surrounded it, right? And so we'll look at the chronology of the judges here. And so at the very top, we'll see Othniel, and then you'll move down. You'll see Ehud, the left-handed assassin, and then you'll see on right there, right under you to the bottom of that, to the left of your screen. You'll see it's, it's kind of difficult to see, but it's a heart. And so that's where the book of Ruth is kind of portrayed out. And you'll see everything that's going on during the days of where the book of uh, Ruth plays out and what Ruth is going through and Naomi and uh, Boaz during that time. And so God is indeed sovereign during these times. We'll glance back at the book of Judges 21-25. We see that in those days there was no king of Israel in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. In family, there was no food, right? Famine, so no pizza, no curry, none of that good stuff with naan. And so we see Elimelech take his family, and they go down to Judah. <clears throat> and so we'll see God's providence work out, but we're also going to see our artist of the week here, um, here in a bit. And so this slide will come up. And so, Sophie, are you in the house today? So, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with me and capture their story today. And so, so we put this on the board for us. Um, so we have the big heart in the center up top. And so it says, God is mighty to save. And so we'll see how he's mighty to save. Um, right in the center of that heart, we have an arm with God flexing his muscle, his God's sovereignty muscle. Um, but we'll see as we'll play out. And so on the bottom left, you'll see... Excuse me, you'll see Boaz talking to his laborers and workers. You know, keep your hands off Ruth, protect her, um, help her out as she's gathering and she's laboring in the field for food. And so we find, uh, we find that Ruth will find favor with Boaz. And towards the center there, we have Naomi and Ruth as they go from Moab back to Bethlehem. And so we'll see how God's sovereignty and his providence plays out. And so Elimelech, right, there's a famine in the land. And he takes Naomi and his two sons into the land of Moab, and they remain there. And some commentators would note that Elimelech faltered in his faith and obedience. Others, others would note that he was a man of wealth and was lacking contentment by selfishly pursuing the next bigger and better thing, regardless of what his family's spiritual needs may have been. But the text does not specifically tell us why he fled Bethlehem. But in verse 3, we see that he died. And Naomi was left with her two sons, and they would marry Moabite wives named Orpah and Ruth. And so Naomi loses her husband, and now her two sons die. Later on, we'll see Naomi's going to give us some insight into what she's feeling. But if we can put ourselves in Naomi's place in her feet, walking her shoes, right? Husband's gone, her sons are gone. She's in a foreign land. Can't help but think that Naomi is in a pit of despair. You can't help but think that Naomi was questioning why they were, why did they ever leave Bethlehem? Why did they leave the place where all of her friends were? Why did they leave a place where she would have familiar shoulders to cry on and perhaps even someone to embrace her while her husband 
and sons died. <clears throat> and so we pick up, uh, we'll pick up in verse 6 here. So then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields, in the fields of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Here's some good news. Naomi is in the fields of Moab, and she hears someone say that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And so Naomi stops in her tracks, packs up her suitcase, takes her two daughters-in-laws, and hightails it to Judah. She may not have a suitcase, but she probably has some type of bag or something, right? But we see something interesting happens in verses 8 through 14 in Naomi. So Naomi tells Orpah and Ruth to go back home. She tells them to return to their homeland and prays that the Lord's blessing be upon their lives. Even when they want to stay with her, Naomi appears to have a, a maternal moment, right? She wants to take care of them. One translation has this, uh, this way. So, but on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's home, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. One commenter notes, having come to Moab as an alien herself, Naomi undoubtedly recognized from the outset that problems for her daughters-in-law would face if they accompany her back to Bethlehem. Intending to spare them her grief, at some point along the way, Naomi finally broke the silence initiating a conversation that continues to the end of this scene. Her first speech offers a beautiful illustration of tough love, combining firmness with tenderness. Conveying a sense of urgency, she begins with a double command, go return, go back to the houses of your mothers, from which her own sons lifted them in the first place. And so we see Orpah kiss her mother-in-law, and she departs, and we never hear from her again. And then here's where we get to see Ruth, right? We're going to see some of Ruth's attributes here a bit. So Ruth in faith turns from her gods and her people. And Ruth drives her devotion home when she stays. And she'll state this, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me more also, if anything, but death departs from you parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So Orpah left, right? Orpah leaves Naomi to return back to her homeland and her gods. But Ruth reveals her character by staying with Naomi. In spite of any inkling that she may have had to return to her previous life that she knew before, her mom, her dad, in spite of any fear or uncertainty that there may be to be in a foreign land and be with her people, that are alien to her, she still goes. You can see her faith in God and perhaps even Naomi has an influence over her as she has been with her all these years. But here's a question we can maybe relate to. Has anyone ever had a journey to a foreign land with a family member, a place you are not really sure of? Those in the military perhaps could relate. I'm not sure if there are kids in the room could relate as well. Absolutely, it may be a bit scary, a bit unknown. Thank you. <laughs> um, but amidst the heightened emotions, right, we see them embracing. We see, between the three, we see Ruth's attributes. And we're going to do some, uh, a little interactive slide here, if you will. And so here's Ruth, and here's some attributes that are of her, or really that are of her character, and some attributes that are not. And so we'll see here in the text, 
And so we'll start in the upper left-hand corner. Uh, Ruth, perhaps she was loyal, maybe, yeah. Industrious, so maybe a hard worker. Yeah. Selfish, no. no, we don't at least start, right? Not in the text, we're to see you. Uh, faithful, absolutely. Uh, not lazy, we're gonna see here in the fields here, sweating. Uh, not selfish, just unselfish. But we'll also see that she's gonna be brave and mean it was not a part of her, her character, at least in the text that we see here. And so Ruth is loyal to Naomi, not forsaking her during difficult times. We will see that she's a hard worker here in chapter two. Ruth is faithful. And here's a note, Ruth clung to her mother-in-law in covenant fidelity, knowing that she was bound by her promise before the face of God to remain with and aid her mother-in-law. No matter how difficult it would be, this is the same devotion we are to have to the Lord's people today. No matter our flaws, we Christians must love and serve one another. And so we'll also see that Ruth is unselfish. Her acts toward Naomi are unselfish when it comes to her putting Naomi before her. And lastly, Ruth's bravery is evident as she leaves the land that she knows so well, a land that might be that might mean leaving her family and friends behind, embarking on a journey that would unfold with God orchestrating the music of Ruth's life. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> to repeat, um, God is indeed sovereign, right? God is sovereign when our circumstances seem otherwise. In the midst of Ruth's life, we'll see how God's sovereignty and his providence plays out as he'll use Ruth and those around her for his glory. So as they make that journey of uncertainty, we'll see God's hand in it. And so <clears throat> we see the homecoming not go as the townspeople. We're looking at verses 19 through 22. So the homecoming doesn't go as planned. Uh, the people see Naomi, and they're excited. And Naomi, which means pleasant one or beauty, asks to be called Mara, which means bitter. Naomi would acknowledge God's sovereignty, but in her limited scope could not see the plan of redemption that would come about from her less than ideal circumstances. And yet Ruth is by her side. In the next scene, Ruth shows herself to be a hard worker as she serves Naomi by going into the fields to glean after the harvesters in, the order to get <clears throat> in order to provide food for them. In God's providence, she is working in the fields that belong to Boaz, the future kinsmen that God would use to redeem Naomi and would marry Ruth and in turn protect her family line. And so kinsmen may be a bit foreign of a, a term for us. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we'll see what a kinsman is. Right? We'll look at kinsmen culturally. So culturally during this time, a kinsman was a relative of the same family. Those who were related, even though somewhat distantly, received by law privileges and obligations for all members of the family. It was the right of the kinsman to receive the inheritance of a family heir he was also obligated to reclaim property of a kinsman who had gone into debt, especially if it involved someone's enslavement to an Anan Israelite. In this function, the kinsman becomes the kinsman redeemer. On legal grounds, we'll look at Boaz here. On legal grounds, Boaz had a right to reclaim the property of Naomi, but he was required by law to wait for his turn as he was not the nearest relative. Only after this nearest relative refused did Boaz proceed with his obligation as kinsman and thus becoming a kinsman redeemer for Naomi and then marrying Ruth. And so we'll pick back up. 
Now picking back up from when Ruth was gleaning, Boaz comes down from Bethlehem and is in the field checking on his laborers, checking on his field. Ruth's good reputation from how she has served Naomi is spoken of among the people, and Ruth finds favor in the eyes of Boaz. Boaz would attempt to protect her by instructing her to stay in his field and instructing his workers not to touch her. Boaz would also make it easier for her to glean by instructing his workers to remove some of the barley from the sheaves. Ruth, in her gratitude, falls to her face before Boaz and asks why she found favor in his eyes, and Boaz reminds her of her faithfulness to Naomi and her bravery in leaving her father, her mother, and all that was familiar. And so well, chapter 2 closes with the end of the barley wheat and harvest, and chapter 3 opens with Naomi wanting to care, <clears throat> wanting to care <clears throat> for Ruth by finding a more permanent home. So Naomi advises Ruth to take a bath, put on perfume, and change her clothes because she needs to go meet Boaz at the threshing floor. And then we'll see that culturally during this time, a threshing floor, it was a cleared solid surface. <clears throat> It'd be hard rock packed down or dirt where the chaff would be separated from the barley or wheat. Here Ruth would ask if Boaz would redeem Naomi and in turn marry her. And so we're going to see three key points here for Ruth, right? We're going to look at some things for Ruth as we've gone through. <clears throat> and so we see Ruth's loss, right? Losing her husband, not understanding why perhaps at that time. I'm not sure if the Lord had sought her and changed her, but she definitely had something going on. We look at Ruth's promise. Ruth's promise to Naomi. We see her character play out there. And then Ruth's lineage, in which we're going to roll here shortly where <clears throat> in the text, we'll read it, where Boaz would marry her, right? And so they would have Obed, which is the grandfather of David, and so which made way for the Messianic line, for Jesus to be born into eventually, to come into the world to the Messianic line. And so we see God's providence bringing the Messianic lineage by Boaz, redeeming Naomi, Mary's Ruth, who would later give birth to Obed, which is the grandfather of David. God, in his mercy, grafts Ruth into his family, a Moabite woman who, by faith, trusted God and would, use, <clears throat> and would use her to bring about his ultimate redemptive plan for his elect people through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And family, as we begin to close, James will come up with a team and play, but... <clears throat> God is sovereign in our circumstances. Through my stories, I don't always understand why, but he's good. God is sovereign in our circumstances when they seem otherwise in the midst of loss, in the midst of what appears to be an unknown situation, in our failure to be faithful, and in the midst of hardships. God will use ordinary people for his glory. We all can relate with the characters in today's text in one way or another. Each one of them had some good attributes and some bad, and just like them, we've all sinned against God. We've all fallen short of his glory. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for our sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. There's nothing that we can do 
right? That will make us right before a holy God. Our works are filthy rags. But Christ fulfilled the law and bore the wrath of God for the sins of his people. And by repentance and placing our faith in what Jesus has done, we are made righteous. No longer enemies with God, but reconciled to him by his blood. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, which we all need. In church, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to share God's words with you. And as we worship God, James and the team will come up and uh, we'll continue in worship. And Jason will lead us in confession and also communion. Okay.